My name is Rob Auchincloss, and this is the Holocene Podcast, where we seek knowledge from the most creative, adventurous, and bright among us. These individuals are storytellers, entrepreneurs, athletes, designers, and everything else in between. It is my job as the host to take what they have each learned in their own lives and codify their knowledge so that you can use their lessons in your own life. In this episode, I am joined by KC Dean. Now, KC Dean is a professional skier, mountain biker, and budding actor. In this conversation, we talk about everything from what originally brought him into the world of professional athletics to why he decided to begin a career in acting and what actually brought him to LA. I hope you all enjoy this conversation between myself and KC Dean. Life is either an incredible adventure or it's nothing at all. Hey, uh, Casey, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, no worries, man. And uh, sorry for the technical difficulties. Uh, Skype can be a pain in the ass, so. Always fun. I guess they're not a sponsor of the show. <laughs> no, no, not not, uh, not yet. But uh, so I'm going to start off with simple. Uh, so what is the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning? Um, in quarantine or non-quarantine times? <laughs> okay, anything, you know, what, what's the first thing in your head? Uh, coffee, probably. Get coffee. Get coffee. Good That's coffee. pretty much it. Okay. And then kind of the day begins, but, um, yeah. And so, yeah, walk me through what your routine's been like in this quarantine, you know, because you are a full-time athlete, and uh, I'm sure that's definitely put a, a hindrance on what you normally do day-to-day. Uh, well, normal, normally I would obviously be doing stuff, but I blew my knee out in January, so I'm three months post-op right now, uh, getting my MCL, PCL, and meniscus repaired. So the quarantine time isn't actually really any different because I can't do much. Yeah. So my big time of the week basically uh, is Monday, which is when I'd be going down to beat project and doing physio, but I can't do that right now. So I am just, uh, I'm just at home. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like are you doing any sort of like PT yourself or anything like that? Yeah, so I'm on a pretty good, I'm always on a training routine, but uh, we're still allowed to ride bikes outside here in Los Angeles, which is where I am now. Yeah. And uh, so I go out usually on a road bike ride around noon. And then I do a home fitness basically set up that uh, is just been pieced together between like construction equipment, cement <laughs> blocks, and then yeah. other weights that we have here. But I train five days a week as well. So that's great. Yeah, I, I saw some stuff in your Instagram story for you kind of making some sort of circuit in uh, in your backyard. So you, you did say you tore your MCL, PCL meniscus. Um, how you want to talk about how that happened and and like what the surgery was like? Yeah, it's kind of a crazy actually experience because I I've had multiple knee surgeries and other surgeries before, but all in the U.S. And I was over for the first trip of the year skiing wise in Austria I was there in January and yeah just kind of went three days four days early because you know we had a kind of a slow start in North America there was snow so uh, I, I was actually in Los Angeles for Christmas and then was skiing Mammoth and that they were really good and, and then it dried up so I wanted to go ski where there was some snow so I went flew over to Austria early to go ski with my friend Lorraine Uber and and two days in, I was with her and this girl, Hedvig. And I just threed a cliff. We'd all hit it. 
you know, the previous run and uh, landed on something firm and just stopped my left leg. Oof. And, yeah, I kept going, and my left, the bottom half of my left leg did not want to keep going. And so I kind of folded it up back towards my hip, and I, uh, it was a pretty wild experience because I went from barely being able to click into my ski, and I skied down to 30 minutes going into an MRI. And about an hour, hour and a half later, they just told me, all right, you need surgery. And I was scheduled into surgery that quick. Wow. And that was probably around noon, one o'clock. And then uh, two in the morning that night, or just after, you know, two the following morning, I was going into surgery and woke up with a whole new, with my ligaments reattached and my season, my ski season over. Ski season was over. Um, and so did you have to be on crutches or some sort of walker for a bit right afterwards? Oh, yeah. No, I was – because I actually slipped the meniscus out of the inside of my knee. They told Jesus me that I was going to be on crutches for <laughs> – yeah. yeah. They told me I'd be on crutches actually for eight weeks. Wow. So when I flew home from Austria, it was it was uh, a bit of a mission. Yeah, for sure. But it, you, you seem like pretty determined to get back out there, so – well, I mean, I needed to get home, obviously. So yeah, totally. I, I stayed in, in Lech for two days. Then I went to uh, Ischgl for, in Austria for some meetings with Fisher Skis. And, yeah. then, uh, and then I just, yeah, three days later, after getting my knee fixed, I had to fly home. Yep. Which and, was interesting. And so, yeah, I want to talk about your ski career and your mountain bike career, but I kind of want to backtrack first um, and ask you, you know, when you were growing up, did you did you know you wanted to be a pro athlete or what did you want to be when you grew up? Yeah, I wanted to be a pro athlete. Yeah. So were you, were you just, uh, did you ski a lot as a kid? Like, when did you learn how to ski? When did you learn how to ride a bike? Like, is it early on you just knew you had a love to spend time outside and explore? Yeah, I mean, it's just a product of being around my dad that's basically... I'm another version of him, you know, I mean, he was, he did everything outside and he rode motocross. He did all the things that I've done essentially. So I was exposed to that at the age of, I mean, three, I started skiing and, and was on a bike shortly after that, always riding bikes and stuff around and messing around on them. And then, um, I think just watching earlier Greg Stump movies and Warren Miller movies made me really want to become a skier That's and my cool. brother and I pretend that we were Scott Schmidt and Kevin Andrews and and so we had to be around the hill and stuff like that and I just I always wanted to ski these places in the world I couldn't imagine how I was going to get there if I wasn't a pro athlete you know how am I going to get money to go heli skiing and to do all this cool stuff and to go travel yeah but that was a big that was a huge thing for me a driving factor and then I no, I mean, I think it was probably high, like high school, 15, 16 years old when when uh, Happy Days dropped from yeah. four plays, <laughs> and I got that I just looping, and that really, you know, I saw what was going on in skiing, and that actually reignited my desire to really focus on skiing, because I was riding mountain bikes then, yep. growing up, and stuff like that, and and I got kind of distracted from what was going on in skiing a bit because at the age of 10, 9, 10 years old, we started snowmobiling and I was in the backcountry all the time and I'm homeschooled. So my sphere of influence is pretty narrow in, in a way, you know, I mean, got it, yeah. 
I was doing all this stuff, but I was, you know, I was skiing in the backcountry and working on doing all that stuff. So for a good five, six years, all this, I, I wasn't seeing the evolution of what was going on because I wasn't at the local ski resort. I was only skiing in the backcountry at that for five years. Wow. And, and where then, where is home? Uh, I grew up in Sandpoint, Idaho. Okay. Got it. Yeah, I actually have some friends from there. Um, so I guess going off that, are there, are there any fun stories that your parents like to tell about you and your brother kind of going on these adventures and skiing and maybe something didn't turn out the way that you thought it would? Uh, I think probably one that's pretty funny is my dad actually, I, and I remember this too, but I was maybe 11 or 12 years old and I was snowboarding at the time too. Uh, it was the first time that he had taken me to something that was a pretty big run that was steep. I mean, it was probably like 45 degrees, yep. 50 degrees at the top. And he just took me up to the top and the snowmobile dropped me off. And we had looked at it from the bottom, so I knew what it was. And I got to the edge and I just looked over and was like, holy shit. And my dad just looked at me and laughed. And he's just like, oh, it's, you're, you're fine. And just turned around and left. And I was just like, oh, well, I guess I'm fine. I guess, you know, and then I dropped in. And when, uh, when by the time he got down to the bottom, I was, like, coming out the bottom, too. So, But that was one of the first times that really kind of, like, pushed me into something that was really, really steep and uncomfortable kind of a little bit, you know, that pushed my comfort zone. Yeah. And then you clearly kind of took a liking to it after that to keep pushing it and doing steeper and gnarlier stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, I kind of already liked doing that. And then when, and then once I saw, you know, what was really going on in skiing with, you know, like Seth Morrison and Conky and all those guys, that really ignited me even more to seeing, just seeing what was going on in, in skiing, you know? Yep. And uh, so, you know, I know you've skied all over the world, uh, tried out many resorts, filmed different films and short films and ad spots all over. Is there a certain place that you kind of go back to as like this is this is your like home away from home skiing? I think home away from home, which my home for skiing is Whistler, BC, yeah. uh, would be Japan. I, I just have some sort of interesting uh, resonance to being in Japan and the I uh, just, re I really love skiing over there. Yeah. And that, that's, it, it's interesting because it feels really comfortable when I go back there. It, you know, even if I'm not going back to the exact same spot, I feel very much at home when I'm, when I'm over there traveling. And even when I'm out of the mountains up there, it, it feels good, you know? Yeah. So you're up in Hokkaido then skiing up that, up that region? Not really. I mean, I, I have, and I've spent, I think, the last couple of years going to you and I cat skiing operation. Oh, yeah. It was just this insane, insanely amazing spot right above the ocean and stuff like that. And and the, those guys have a great, great cat op. But uh, that was actually my first time going there. I usually spend, I spend, I think, seven years or eight years going just to, to Honshu. Yeah. Which is the main island of Japan and, mm -hmm. and going up outside of, uh, outside of Tokyo, going to the Nagano region and and skiing out there yeah and it's uh i've been to japan it's, it's an amazing country and i i can see why you have that that uh that appreciation for it not only culturally but also from a you know natural aspect uh have you ever been mountain biking in japan yeah i've done a couple trips there cool uh, in fact yeah. Hakuba has a really really cool 
uh, trail network out there that's super fun and a pretty core scene of, of guys. I was there last fall with Gunderson and uh, a rider from Scotland, Scott Lachlan. Yep. And then I went with Jeff Belovich and Grant Gunderson, maybe Scott Seca, I think it was like three or four years ago. Yeah. Okay. And, and I'm going to hop back into mountain biking in a second, but uh, you know, kind of finishing up on skiing, uh, I know you've been caught in a few avalanches. Uh, is there a story from one of those that you want to talk about? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, it's kind of, kind of an interesting thing. I mean, it's, it's definitely something you never really want to do. I think, I think one interesting point is, is I think the second one I got caught in the first really big one, I, I, my friend JP, Claire, who's, who was a pro skier afterwards, it was actually during TELUS Festival in Whistler, so everybody was pretty much in town for that. And I, I saw JP and, and Moss up that night, Dave Moss up from Sherpa Cinema. And I was, I mean, I was pretty rattled. And it was really, really cool to talk to JP, which is interesting because he got killed by an avalanche. Yeah. And um, I, I, it was just really interesting, his take on it, because, you know, you get this weird feeling when it happens that, or at least I did, that you feel like you did something wrong or you, you know that people are going to judge you or are going to feel like an idiot because you didn't do the right amount of prep work or, you know, and you're not respecting the mountains and all this other shit. And JP was just like, dude, it, it happens. You can do all the prep work you want and things are still going to go wrong, you know? Totally. And JP had this theory where you have, like, your five-year scare and your ten-year scare. And he's just like, it sounds like you had, like, your your five-year or your ten-year, you know what I mean, like that? Where yeah. it really puts you back in check. And he's like, hopefully you don't ever have those. But he's like, I feel like everybody has, like, that big scare that kind of puts you back in. And, and his premise was, you know, you should really... Because I had POV footage of it and stuff, and we were filming, and and he said, you know, you should put that footage out, and you should talk about that so that people remember that and they learn from that, so that they understand that even doing all of the snow science that you can do, you can still go out there and totally. things go wrong, so that you need to be paying attention. So, so that was actually pretty interesting, you know, to have JP's and Dave's perspective on that. So, and, and it's the, yeah. Sorry, were you gonna say? Oh, it didn't. I mean, it is pretty crazy that to think about that conversation, and then, I mean, now knowing that JP, you know, passed away from from uh, avalanche, and uh, it's pretty wild. But and after that happened, did you even for a split second second guess maybe putting away the skis for a bit? No. No, you're just like ready to go. Well, I mean, it, it makes you hesitant, you know. For sure doing certain things but um and kind of tiptoeing back in and because it really makes you like you we all almost always dig pits and then you dig a pit and then you're like well did i read that right and <laughs> yeah it just it really makes you a bit nervous before you do something again because you already did your due diligence and then all of a sudden things went went wrong so it kind of really just tightens up your your program but, totally. uh, but no, I didn't, wouldn't, I mean, that's a part of being a skier and being in the mountains, you know? Sure. Do you want to talk about your avid gear setup? So do you ski with beacons or an airbag or anything like that? Yeah. I mean, everybody skis in the backcountry that, 
<laughs> that has a brain. Yeah, for least. sure. Yeah. With, uh, Not everyone, but. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Beacon Shovel Probe is pretty much my standard standard kit. Um, sometimes now, um, sometimes I will use a Navi bag, but I've had a couple situations, one where I got taken on a, in a pretty big slide and I couldn't even get to the, the trigger because I was getting hit yeah. so hard. And I, you know, I've had some interesting talks too with guys that run heli operations and depending, especially if you're in the trees, it's not going to do too much for you. Even if you get floated to the top, yeah. when you go through trees, you pretty yeah, much, yeah. you're going to get ripped apart anyway. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't use one as much anymore, but I do still, I, I have multiple ones that I still will use on certain days. Yeah. And so you, you surf as well, correct? What's that? You, you spend a lot of time surfing as well, correct? Yeah. And so is, are there, were there any moments surfing where you got caught up in a massive wave or kind of push underwater for a long time that you, you could kind of compare to being caught in avalanche at all? Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I've had a few situations like that, and um, uh, one I was I was surfing in Indonesia, and I, I went out during the one of the biggest swells in uh, on the island of Nias, and um, there's a really famous right hand wave there that gets pretty heavy, and it was big. It was got to like ten to twelve foot, yeah. And all these big wave surfers came in, and all these these pro dudes were out in the water, and, and so I I sat out. And then the next day, the swell dropped to maybe seven to eight foot, which is still big. It's still, yeah, still huge. I don't know, <laughs> triple overhead kind of yeah. deal. And so I'm I'm back out in the lineup, you know, and I'm kind of working my way in. And I caught like one smaller wave, and so I'm starting to feel comfortable. And I'm sitting sitting in the lineup of maybe like thirty dudes or something like that, and uh, forty dudes, and and. You know, the swell is dropping at this point, and we just look, and basically the whole bay, you just see it just start to drop out, and the whole lineup got caught inside on, like, a six-wave set. It was probably 10 to 12 feet, and I got over the first, and then duck dove through the lip of the second, and I was in so much water. It was <laughs> yeah. And then I, knowing what I know now, it was a pretty... It was a very bad decision. I should have ditched my board and dove and gone through. Yeah. Anyway, I didn't and ended up just getting sucked over the falls and then pinned on the reef on my back. And it's pretty crazy because when you get pinned on the bottom like that, you got to just relax. And then you wait until it lets you up and then you jump to the surface, you know? Yeah. But it's the most violent thing I could ever possibly imagine. It, it basically feels like you're getting caught in an avalanche, you know? Yeah, and, and how and then last year yep. too, I was actually surfing in uh, up at Ocean Beach in San Francisco, mm -hmm. right by there. Yep. And I went up with a Waco to go do because I've always wanted to surf Mavericks, so I went and I started. I have done my apnea course, which is to learn how to breathe properly and then hold your breath. Yep. And got to where I could I, I can do an over five minute breath hold. Yep. Static. And correct me if I'm wrong, but they won't let you go out to Mavericks or like the pros or the real masters of Mavericks won't let you go out there until you can really hold your breath for five minutes, right? Well, maybe, well, if you're working with somebody, maybe, but no, yeah. you like anybody, any Joey that is freaking wants to, because yeah, literally sure. you can get out there, can paddle into the lineup, but 
Not the one smartest. of the deals is if you want to buy a blow-up vest, like from Patagonia, you have to take the Bragg course, which is the big wave risk assessment group. You have to go past their course and, and do that before you can even buy a vest. And so I've done the apnea course twice. I haven't done like the jet ski rescue stuff. Yep. Um, but so I've been working up and I went to, and I learned a lot from actually Taylor Paul who surfs Mavericks all the time and unbelievable surfer. And he works for, for Waco. And even then that, that was pretty cool because we went out and I don't know how big it was, but it was probably like pretty solid, maybe like eight foot. And, um, Ocean Beach and the area around there is just so powerful, and were, we got caught <laughs> by something. You just get the, you just get thrashed so hard. It's pretty funny for some reason. Though, I find it pretty entertaining when being in big <laughs> waves and you like pop back up. But um, so hopefully in the future I can continue that on and, and surf some big waves. Yeah. So you grew up being in Sandpoint, Idaho, nowhere near the ocean. When did you start surfing then? Midway through high school, probably, like, I would go down, my mom's side of the family is from Ventura. Got it. So I'd, I'd get in the ocean maybe once or twice a year. And for some reason, though, I was always really kind of obsessed by surfing and we're watching surf videos. And my dad surfed yeah. in the past in college and stuff. So I kind of always gravitated towards the ocean and, and watching it and reading Surfing Magazine and all that stuff, so. Yeah, it's uh, there is a a lot of parallels between surfing and mountain biking and skiing, so I mean it makes sense. Um, so switching to dirt for a bit, uh, you know, same kind of question I asked about skiing, but you know, I've now watched almost all the videos online of you, you know, riding remote single track, like shredding coveted trails up in Alaska, you know, you know, hitting some pretty epic free ride runs uh, all over the world. Do you have a certain like trail or place that you is a favorite to you? Hmm. I mean, over in history, I guess uh, I I really love riding in the desert. Okay. So I like riding in like in Virgin and Green River a lot. Although I don't really free ride as much anymore. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, single track trails. There are places in the world. I mean, Whistler's is one, and uh, Bellingham. Uh, sure the locals in Bellingham don't want to hear that, but it's, yeah. um, I have some friends in Nisqual that say the same. So yeah, Iceland's really sick. Iceland's super fun. And, uh, going off that you, did anything stop you from keep doing free ride? Was it just the, the amount of risk involved or just the amount of, you know, effort it took to take runs or, um, I think it's kind of maybe a combination of things. I don't know. I mean, it's interesting because, you know, my initial drive going into mountain biking, uh, especially as a professional, was to ride Rampage. And so, you know, I went to the contest in 2012, and I was just really fired up to, to ride that type of terrain and yep. free ride. And then... And then... You know, I got an athlete invite in 2014, and then in 2015 was like an alternate and maybe could have ridden and got just kind of sidetracked where I, in a very good way, I bought a house, and, and so I was renovating the house, and I was focused on that, and by the time things came back around to where I kind of could 
maybe go. It was just such a rush yeah. to get diggers, to do all this stuff that I felt so scattered. I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I just, I need to focus on what I'm doing now and then I'll come back next year. And then, you know, my partner for Rampage that I, I rode with the year before and built a line, Paul Bass got paralyzed that year on the line we built together. Yeah, I remember and that that kind of changed things a little bit where I, I was, and I was already, I mean, I, I was free riding and doing all this stuff, but I still was riding the trails all the time and yep. doing dirt or whatever it is. So, and I had loved doing that. I mean, I grew up riding trails as a kid. And, and so, you know, part of the, the other thing too, for me is I really love to travel. So, and you know, it's kind of like all kind of came together with that. And then also I was, I was biking for Scott at the time and it was interesting because I had done a few enduro travel trips and stuff like that. And the marketing guy at the time, you know, I sent them all that stuff and they're like, yeah, we really don't need anybody doing free ride. What we (laughs) need is somebody to ride enduro stuff. And I was just like, yeah, that's, I'm telling you, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. And like, and we need, we need somebody filming and doing photo stuff. So, and I was like, yeah, that's what I'm also doing. I'm not just doing free ride. So I was doing everything and they were like, whoa, uh, okay, cool. Um, so, uh, so that happened where I kind of just shifted things a little bit more kind of all at once, you know? Yeah. And then what really shifted it, which was an interesting thing, is I went to Eurobike. Uh, I can't remember what year that was. I think it was in 2015, maybe. Um, and so anyway, I just like went and I went to the marketing people at Scott, and I I thought I was like good to go, man. I was just like I was dialed. I was killing it. I was just coming off like, you know, getting invited to Rampage, and I'm doing all this like good media stuff. And there was some weird stuff kind of going on in the industry that time where certain large bike corporations to be unnamed cut their prices by 50% just in order to get rid of all the stock of their bikes. Yep. I know exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) So they just flushed everything out. And in turn, every other company had to follow suit. So either they didn't sell bikes, you know, or they basically match what was going on by the leading brands and so anyway they ended up selling out of all their bikes and they had no marketing dollars yeah yeah so i go to Eurobike because i'm doing this trip in switzerland and i was filming a video over there and i just went to tell them and i just had i can't remember it off the top of my head but i mean i had like so much stuff happened i just had a bike magazine cover which was huge for me yeah like cover bike mag cover like all this coverage and stuff like that and so I go and I tell them this, and they're like, wow, this is amazing. You've crushed it, you know, and you said you were gonna, wanted to get on a rampage, and you did that, you've done night nights, you've done, you know, you're doing crankworks and all this stuff, and um, you should find a new bike sponsor. <laughs> and at the time, I just was blown away. I couldn't, I, I mean, yeah. look at it on paper, like, and so I, in a way, I was pretty thankful because I was at Eurobike. I just had basically marketing laid it out for me that they were going to cut me along with a bunch of other riders. Yep. And at that time they were separate. Scott, 
Scott North America and Scott Europe are two different entities that really they don't help each other out much. And so I just I just thought, okay, you know, fuck it, I'm going to go find a new bike sponsor. And you know what? I'm lucky because I'm here. Yeah. And it was really cool because there was a few guys in biking that always just really had my back. And one is Jeff Golovich and Richie Schley. Mm-hmm. And I told Gully, and I was so choked. And, you know, he just told me, ah, whatever, you'll be fine. You'll, you'll find something. And and he's, he just told me, I'm going to ask around for you. And, and I told him not to let anybody know yet. And, he, of course, he went and told Richie Schley. <laughs> yeah. And Schley just texted me, and he said, you know what? I just talked to these two companies. They're looking for riders. Uh, go over there immediately. And so it was really cool because you knew, like, the guys that had your back, you know. Yeah. And so I ended up switching and riding for BMC. Yeah. And so that was a big shift as well that didn't, they didn't have a downhill bike. They didn't care, you know. But I was still doing free ride, and I told them I was still going to do that. And that company is so clueless when it comes to mountain biking anyway, which is unfortunate because they were making a really, really exceptionally good uh, trail bike. Yep. And it was the TMC01, right? Uh, it was a Trail Fox. Trail Fox, that's what it was. Yeah, the TMC, I that think, was the, was the XC it bike. Was, yeah. yeah, the Trail Fox was a really good bike, and they had an Enduro team and stuff like that. And then that year, I got invited to do uh, Dirt Diaries and Crankworks, which is, I mean, it's arguably the biggest video contest in mountain biking. You know, it's yep. like the it's like the real, the real ski of, or the real snow of, mountain biking you know yep and i did it partially on my bmc and then partially on my scott gambler which i wrapped and just rode all the downhill and free ride stuff on on that and then i even filmed free ride stuff the next year well but i was i mean i was kind of struggling because i was on bmc yeah and thankfully i ended up you know now riding now i'm riding for canyon which has been incredible because the bikes are just top notch you know yeah and it's such a great team to work with and they have a good vision and and so in the meantime with that where i kind of have shifted it i mean i actually still want to do and i had a plan to do a free ride video with um i was talking to canyon about doing one with luca cometti mm-hmm. in in the desert in in may but that is obviously been shelved. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little bit. Did yeah, you ever, so, uh, when you were at Crankworks and doing the Dirt Diaries, did you ever work with uh, my mutual friend of ours, Jasper Wesselman, on any of this? Uh, I've never worked with Jasper. Okay. I mean, I've known him forever. Yeah. You know, and he, he's he gone from, like, Ultra Grom to, like... <laughs> Magaza forever, you know? Camera guy, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. And... So I've known him from going to Rampage and Crankworks and stuff like that, but I've yep. never actually filmed um, with Jasper. Yeah, I'll make sure to hook you two up and make sure that happens because uh, I know he's been excited to get back out there and make some rad shit. So. Yeah. But um, so I was going to just kind of ask you, so you're, you're very privy to both like the mountain bike scene and the ski scene. Um like what parallels do you draw between the two and like where are like the significant differences between like the pro schemes in both? Mm, like is the in as a whole in the industry or the riders or I mean it, it'd be kind of be a mixture of everything, you know. So I mean 
Hmm. Off the top of my head, mountain biking is way more clicky. Yep. You know, I mean, mountain biking is in the pro scene is essentially skiing 15, 20, maybe even 25 years ago. You know, I mean, there's mountain biking compared to pro skiing is in its infancy, I feel like, in both free ride and everything. In the racing division, it's, it's, it's still pretty big. But even you compare, you know, racing on the World Cup circuit to, say, skiing. I mean, you've been ski racing for hundreds of, like, over 100 years, yeah. you know? And so mountain biking just doesn't have that. Mountain biking hasn't even been around 100 years, you know? So it's a fairly new sport in comparison, but it is growing really fast. But I noticed that when I came into it, it it's, it's um, I would say, ultra, ultra clicky, especially in a free ride world because... Um, now it's quite a bit bigger, but when I started coming in, I mean, it was a small, small scene. All the guys in Rampage and stuff like that are all boys that have known each other forever. Yeah. And then you've got some random dude like trying to come in, you know, it's, it's kind of like you, I got kind of this weird, not pushback, but just kind of like puzzlement of who are you? Why are you here? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you got, you got to look at, like, all those dudes that did the slopestyle contest because, you know, Gully was one of those guys. And then you got, like, Watts and McCall and Bearclaw, all the and Straight and, and Sorgi and all those dudes. They did slopestyle together. They made the sport. Yeah. Paul Bass was in there as well, you know, and Magaza. And so all of those dudes, they essentially created the sport. They've been traveling the world. Yep. partying and hanging and being boys with all the same boys for the last 10 years. Yeah. And then the free ride entertainment dudes and like all of those guys, you know? And so all of a sudden there's just one new guy and you're like, like what we, we don't need one more new guy. Cause we got the crew yeah. that, you know, we, we have had forever, you know? So it was kind of an interesting thing, and it, it just took a little while for people to kind of be like, and I noticed that people being like, oh, that's like that's like the new guy. You know what I mean? Whereas in skiing, I, I feel like there's just, skiing is such a huge sport. I mean, you go to a ski resort. It's, it's not like going to the bike park, you know? I mean, yeah. you go to the ski resort, and there's just thousands of people that are skiing. You know, you go to Whistleback Home, they got... 30,000 skier visits in one day and you're just one yep. of the of the 30,000 people that are stepping on the hill that day where you go to the bike park there's like a couple hundred yeah in Whistler you know so that was that was a, a huge difference and then also in the pro ski scene I mean it's kind of there's just a lot of different sex in skiing where you know there's Guys that do urban, there's backcountry guys, there's the contest guys. And so they're maybe kind of their own little scene, but by and large, and then you got people all around the world at this point. You know, when I started skiing, you got this pros in South America, Europe, there's people from all over that are, have been doing it for so long, you know? Yep. And so if, if you had, you know, just say like a young kid, boy or girl, you know, age 14, 18, that wants to get into pro skiing or pro mountain biking, like what, what advice would you give them to, you know, start to 
build their career towards getting there? Because it's definitely getting harder and harder as time goes on to enter these fields as pros and really make a difference and distinguish yourself. I, th- I think when it comes down to it, it doesn't matter what sport it is, you have to do it because you really, truly love doing it. Yeah. Because that's that's what carries you forward when, when the days fucking suck. You know? Yeah. That's what, like, you know, I mean, there's there's so many days filming and and it'll carry you through all the hard shitty times you know and and i talk about that with my dad where like at the beginning of my ski career you know the amount of stuff that i put up with where i'd go to film and you know i finally get the opportunity and i'm obviously not paying these people but you need this to work and and so you show up and they show up four hours later in the parking lot yeah on a sunny pow day and that just like tortures my brain. I'm giving up a whole day of skiing and all this, but it's because I want to make this my living because I love what I'm doing. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And then it's also those deals that, you know, I want to, I mean, it just goes to like so many, it, it'll keep you out there longer. It'll push you harder. It'll make you want to go stomp that trick, you know? And, yep. and then also once you start, you know filming doing whatever it is i mean it's gonna be it's gonna take you through a lot of stuff you know like when i was in china i was filming with damien from fast focus for a tv show i mean it was like 120 degrees 125 fahrenheit (laughs) and i was hiking stuff in the middle of the day because i loved what i was doing and because that's what i you know where if you didn't love what you were doing you would have been like dude it's too hot let's just like film later but I, I just was so amped on what I was doing and where I was and, and everything that I was, I would just push through and do that because that's what I love to do. Yeah. And so, so kind of sticking on the filming content creation, you know, side of things. So when you first start, you basically become extras in these films if you're lucky. And then as your career progresses, if you're lucky, you get to run more of the, the show yourself. So like how much nowadays do you spend actually getting to creative direct the stuff you're in, uh, you know, be part of the process? Almost all of it. That's great. In fact, it's interesting because, you know, Hopkins, Mike Hopkins is, is one like that where when we did Dirt Diaries, that was the only project that he had done in, in a year or two that he wasn't fully directing and producing himself. Yeah. And and Mike now he even told me he's just like I don't if I'm not directing or producing something I basically don't want to be involved with it you know yep and so I'm I'm actually in a similar state although I am way more open to doing stuff but primarily it's the ideas and things that are coming from my head with the exception of working with level one yeah and because Josh Berman and those guys are just such legends I love working with Josh He's just like got such an amazing work ethic and he's fun to hang out with and, and he's it's just like that's like my, my ideal thing in skiing if I can work and and do stuff with Josh because it's also kind of a group thing with him where we're talking about what we're doing and uh, so that that's really fun but especially when it comes to biking it's almost always my ideas and my vision like I I come up with everything and then, uh, yeah, pitch it to sponsors or whoever and, and then put it together. And then typically I'll be 
very involved with the editing process um, with how I think or see things should go and then music and stuff like that, you know. And, and luckily yeah. I've been able to work with a lot of cool people like Capture, Share, Repeat, you know, Greg, Greg Jacobs is amazing. He did the last couple projects I did with Canyon and stuff where I just told him, I was like, holy shit, I got this idea. What if we did this, you know? And that's kind of like how projects come together now. Yeah, but that's that's how they should. It's it's more organic. And I think that, you know, what is most personal is most creative, right? So the, the more of your own soul you get to imprint on what you're doing, I think the better off it'll be overall for the project itself, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so kind of going off that, um, you recently released chapter one of a short film titled Reed. Uh, do you want to talk about like this transition from being an athlete to being an actor? Yeah, pretty, pretty interesting turn of events. I've always been interested in acting and, you know, movies and stuff like that. And I obviously love with the ski and bike side. I mean, I've done my own ski movie and stuff. So I like creating and you know making these projects <clears throat> but i uh i guess it started i sold the motorcycle to this guy who was the biggest stunt coordinator in vancouver <laughs> and so he came over and he was just grilling me super hard because he wanted to make sure i wasn't racing or you know some pro level motocross guy that was ripping super hard and and the he just wanted to make sure the bike was in good shape yeah and so I, I, I usually don't say that much anyway when I don't really know people. And uh, after a while, I told him, look, man, you know, I ski and I ride mountain bikes professionally. And so I'm not out trying to ride pro motocross. And I just use this to kind of cross train the mountain bike stuff. And he was like, oh, whoa, what? Turns out he actually used to be a pro skier. And, um <laughs> He was, and like, he knows Richie Schley and those guys and stuff. And he used to film for, I think, like the first or second Matchstick movies. And so he just, he got me basically interested in the idea of becoming a stuntman. And, but I couldn't work with him because uh, I'm American and he's, uh, this was up in Canada. Yeah. And so, yeah, it started from there. And then once I started kind of chasing that down, I talked to him uh, I saw an interview on Surfer Magazine with this guy, Pat Millen, who's an ex-pro surfer and just awesome dude who's now a good good friend of mine. And, and Pat made the jump. He, he uh, kind of basically went through three chapters of his surf career where each time he got going, he got cut by his biggest sponsors, started over again. The third time, he's like, screw it, I'm done. Yeah. And he was good. He's good friends with Scott Eastwood, which is an actor. And, and Scott was just like, dude, if you can go get your SAG card and, and do your training, you can be my stuntman. And ended up never being a stuntman for Scott, but he's James Franco's double and, and a bunch of other people. And so everybody, all these guys I talked to essentially told me that I should take acting classes in addition to the whole stunt thing because if you can kind of work well on camera and understand what's going on, you're going to be better to work with. And yeah. and then if you say a line or two and then it'll help you out. And so the stunt scene seems like it's even more clicky and smaller than the mountain bike world where there's, and, and by clicky, I mean, I don't mean that obviously like in a bad way, but it's just like, it's a small crew, you know, 
Yeah. And it's a small crew that you really need to prove yourself or they're not going to take their time to take you in because they don't want a bunch of kooks running around, totally. you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, I ended up, uh, it's pretty easy to take an acting class, you know? You just go sign up and you do it. And I ended up sitting next to this guy who runs the biggest studio and the most successful one, I think, in L.A. Uh, on a flight back to Vancouver and and we just started talking and, and ended up going to his studio. And I've been going to Anthony Mindel's studio now for, it'll be a year, probably in June. It's amazing. And so that's basically how I got interested in it. Once, just once I started taking class, I, I just, it, I didn't really understand much about acting in general, to be honest beforehand. And, yep. and it gave me a really, uh, just a good appreciation of what it was. And I really loved doing it. And, it uh, to me, it felt like it filled a void that I feel um, I doing skiing and basically doing like action sports porn. Yeah, you know, because <laughs> I, I feel like the viewer in and I've talked about this a lot with my girlfriend who she's does everything. She's actor, comedian. Yeah, Lauren um, Compton, right? Writer. Yeah, and Lauren's amazing. And, she, and she, we've talked about how my audience is probably. Um, like they don't, it, it, I feel like people are really programmed for exactly what they want in this day and age. Totally. So if they go online, for instance, they know that they follow me. I am a skier and I am a mountain biker. They know that there's going to be ski content that they yeah. want to see and bike content and then like nice, uh, landscape photos. And so then all of a sudden when other stuff pops up, they're, they're just like triggered. They're like, wait, what? No, like I don't follow yeah. this guy what's 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 i don't care if this is good i just i'm not i'm not really programmed for this you know yeah i read some of the comments uh, on the post and i was like oh god it's i i enjoyed it but uh i could see that that's actually following through but you know it's the same thing it's like you know i see the photo behind your head it's, it's chris burkhardt print and like it's like imagine him posting a instagram tv video about knitting you know it's like great i i would love to know this but i i follow you for sick landscape photos you know yeah, exactly. And so it's been interesting because, uh, you know, I've been doing this for a while, but now obviously with releasing that, that short, which is going to be, we're going to actually I'm writing, uh, the second chapter now. And, um, uh, but yeah, that's something that I'm working on. It's been a pretty fun transition. And, uh, but I feel like it fills this void that basically people don't want. Cause my point of bringing that up is even in action sports movies, People here in Hollywood are, are like, oh, well, what if you incorporated skiing and then a storyline? I'm like, no, you don't get it. Like, yeah. people don't watch ski movies for storyline. They, they literally just, it seems like they have zero interest because if they want storyline, they'll go watch a TV show or a movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? They'll put on freaking, whatever we're watching now, Game of Thrones. It's like, they'll watch that or they'll watch the new Mission Impossible. They don't want to see mission impossible and then be like wait there's skiing involved <laughs> unless it's tom cruise it. like bucking down a cliff you know and even then a lot of times i feel like people hate on it pretty hard where they're just like um they're like what is this this is whack this is you know it's yeah. not core you know what i mean i'm, I'm trying and to think, I think yeah. the only movie that bridged the gap and still is basically in my mind is aspen extreme okay have you seen Valhalla? That was the only other one that was coming to my head. Like, where there's a storyline, kind of, but it's mostly just like 
a story that glues together like large scenes of people skiing you know yeah exactly and that's kind of yeah yeah um the more recent films uh like kurt morgan his his involvement with the art of flight and dark matter and fourth phase those are snowboarding films obviously but um i I feel like those have been growing more of a story as they go overall um are you are you a fan of those that you've seen them i'm guessing uh yeah and so i'm not a fan of the fourth phase but okay do you want to talk about that at all but i know that there's (laughs) a lot of stuff obviously that went on with the fourth phase you yeah. know, because Kurt Morgan ended up that that's kind of a long story um, where he, you know, didn't get to finish it and it got pulled out of his hands and Red Bull Media House finished it and stuff. Yep. So I don't know what happened with the storyline there, but I thought that that was just a bit too much of a of a stretch. Yeah. And I feel like also for me, mm-hmm. I'm that I'm that person. I don't want to fucking see like a big storyline. I want to see that's it. That's all. Yeah. You know what I mean? Fuck yeah. Like when Travis put that out and Kurt put that, dude, that was like the most yeah. groundbreaking snowboarding on planet fucking earth. And that is what I wanted to see, you know? And when I was, uh, mm-hmm. wh- what is it? That's it. That's all. And then, um, art of flight, yeah. art of flight upped it again. And when I tune into the fourth phase, I want to see it up again. And then I see some story about like a boat and like, <laughs> we're like he's long hair now yeah that's actually not what i wanted to see to be honest you know and that's why i think and why i want to have at least for now a separation in in actions my action sports and then acting wise like i'm not looking to do like some acting deal and then like incorporate me like flipping some like 70 foot cliff or something you know what i mean yeah that it's like two different worlds that I personally, I feel like until proven otherwise, I just don't think that they need to be joined. Totally. And and I, I think I'm in yeah. agreement there. Cause when, when I, when I turn on to watch the art of flight or that's, that's all for my library. Like it's because I want to watch that. I don't want to watch like a Tarantino or a Scorsese, you know, like I, I just want to watch something that's, you know, nature porn. Right. So yeah, exactly. So with with Reed, did your girlfriend Lauren actually have any kind of involvement with that, or is she pushing you, or you know, is that completely independent that she helped with, or anything like that? Um, no. So I met Lauren in November, and when I wrote and created that with Harrison Schaff, I, I actually hadn't even met her yet. Interesting. Yeah. So this is this has been filmed, and we started writing this in September of 2019. And yep. so Harrison and I wrote it, and then we ended up shooting it about three weeks later, a month later, with Tara. And so yeah, it was kind of interesting because you know people were like, "Dude, why wouldn't you have used Lauren and stuff in this?" And I was like, "Well, I didn't even know her then." You know? <laughs> yeah. Like, she, she was, like, was like, "Yeah, it would have been great." But I actually, at that time, too, I didn't really know any actors that, where Harrison was the one that knew Tara, yeah. which is how she ended up uh, coming in into the fray. And then, so yeah, that's kind of like how that all came to fruition, you know, yeah. with, with her not being involved. Anyway, so we ended up writing that and then filming it in October. And then there was a whole nother, there's another which would be chapter two which is now going to be more like chapter four but um yeah so now we're in the process of doing the second one 
with this quarantine thing, I was telling Harrison, why don't we just put this out? Yeah, totally. Just put it out short, and people want to watch things. And I've gotten to the point now, excuse me, where um, I just, I, I don't know. I think in the beginning, I had my own judgments of what acting was and what it meant to be an actor, you know. And honestly, to me, I thought that if you're going to become an actor, you're going to become this blown human that's basically just like, you know what I mean? In yeah, the way totally. that you're just kind of like, you know, you're like worried about being famous and you're just like hanging out in Hollywood doing nothing or something like that. I just had these weird kind of like things that I think a lot of people have uh, the, of this like image or portrayal of, of actors and what it means to be an actor. That's what I thought it was. Yeah. And then, of course, once I started in, I was just like, oh, that's has nothing to do with it at all. And then I meet, you know, these people that not only are, you know, that I go to class with and stuff, but it's just like a small portion of what you're doing, you know. And then you look even to at other huge, you know, famous actors and and what they do, you know. You look at Jared Leto; he's super into rock climbing and like climbing El Cap and stuff like that, you know. I mean, and Jason Momoa is the same way; he's super into climbing and yep. he's from Hawaii. And, you know, he's involved with like surfing and stuff like that. They hang out with Jimmy Chin on the weekends, you know. So. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But they actually do. And it's just like, oh, okay. Like, this is just, it's the same thing as any other job. You know, just because I'm a skier and a mountain biker doesn't mean that I'm not doing other things or I'm not interested in, in other things, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And so it kind of just shifted my whole idea of what it was. But I realized I had these, I guess, judgments as to what it meant to be this type of person. Yeah. And so. And then I also really wanted to make sure before I went out telling everybody like, oh, I'm going to be an actor, that I was 100%. You know what I mean? Yeah, you wanted to make sure you were fully into it before you dove in. Yeah, exactly. So once I did that, then, you know, and I thought about that the other day when I put that out. It felt good to, because now everybody knows. I don't, like, people can think whatever they want, but this is what I want to do because I love doing it. And I love writing you know, and creating stuff. I was working on a script this morning where, you know, I'm really just, it's like figuring out a puzzle in my head, you know? And then I love doing stuff with, with Lauren as well, you know? Yeah, like it's super fun, content. even if it's yeah. a little, <laughs> yeah, whether it's quarantine stuff now and then doing stuff later, you know, um, is, I don't know, it's, it's just really fun and it's a creative outlet that you can't get through action sports. Yep. And so your relationship with Lauren is, is relatively new in the grand scheme of things, but you know, what, what have you learned from each other? Because, you know, she's an accomplished actor and you're an accomplished pro athlete and now you're stuck together for, you know, like long, longer periods of time with this quarantine. Like I'm sure it's been an interesting kind of almost experiment in a way to see how, you know, learning different things from each other. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's been pretty smooth, really. Um, I mean, we, like, moved in super quick together. It just, like, makes... Like, I feel like when it makes sense, it really does just yeah, make sense. I understand. <laughs> um, but she's been really cool and just helping me out because, you know, I don't... Yeah, like you said, she is accomplished. I mean, you can go on Netflix and Amazon Prime, whatever you'd like, and watch movies and TV shows and all the stuff that she's been in. And so it's cool because, for me, action sports-wise... I mean, it's kind of like I remember when, like, when Alexei Godbout decided to go from park skiing to backcountry. Me and Cody Townsend, 
like we pretty much like took them under our wing and showed them the ropes, you know? Yeah. And Hollywood is, it's really interesting of just kind of understanding the ropes, you know, and meeting new people and stuff. And so it's really cool. Just like learning from her kind of like that type of stuff, you know? And does she ski at all or ride bikes or anything like that? Um, no, she does not ski. She's actually an ex-Olympic gymnast or oh. junior Olympic gymnast. So, uh, she actually blew her knee out three times. So she's not big on skiing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we just got her, uh, got her on a mountain bike. And so we've been pedaling nice. around LA. And so that's been really fun. And then hopefully once the lockdown kind of changes, it can get her a, a road bike and a, a mountain bike from Canyon and we can go go cruise but she's been having fun doing that yeah and uh you appeared on her podcast recently what was that like being interviewed by your girlfriend i was it was good you know she's really good at uh you know asking questions and and she's done a lot of hosting as well so it's really cool because she's just really easy to to talk with and to keep keep the conversation going you know yeah totally and kind of in line with everything we've been talking about, um, I've been following you on Instagram, and there was this moment a few weeks ago where you did some pretty incredible impressions. You want to talk to me about, like, where, where did you find this love for, because you're really good at them. Um, it's like, <laughs> wh- wh- where, where did that come from? You know, it's, it, I don't know. Uh, you know, I've been doing it since I was a little kid, and I think maybe since I was, like, eight years old, I've been doing it, yeah. and that's another one with Lauren where she really has encouraged me. She's just like, you're good at these, keep doing these. And I yeah. kind of clicked a few weeks ago, but I was like, yeah, yeah, cool. I get it. Like I'm, I'm good at it. But my dad would tell me the same thing. And I would have like all these different impressions that I do. And then people would encourage me to do them and I just wouldn't do it. Yeah. Literally my whole life. And then, and then, you know, there were certain people that came out and being and whatever that were known for, doing voices and being the funny guy and i didn't want to be the funny guy yeah i didn't want to be the impression guy i wanted to be the you know the fucking pro athlete the guy that sent you know huge huge clips and was was like putting together amazing video segments i wanted to be about my skiing not about being funny or or even like how i look and stuff like that you know which is kind of like now when i look back it's it's kind of funny that i would have thought of that but anyway yeah so i've been doing it forever and it's just recently that I've been kind of doing way more of it. And Lauren's encouraged me to put it out there. And uh, and it's had, you know, a good response. People love impressions and stuff. Totally. Do you have a favorite in particular? Um, I really like doing Bane, yeah. actually. Bane's, it's also easy, but Dr. Evil is super fun. Um, I love which uh probably like an australian accent it's also super easy to slip into and just kind of like holding conversation and um recently i've been doing joe exotic love joe exotic tiger King. yeah you you produced a video where you're basically portraying the difference between um dr evil and bane right that's what it was it was between the two of them and, and talking about yeah like Gotham. Like a blind yeah yeah uh, always a good one. Do you wanna do you wanna share any of that now, or uh, I can link it easily in the show notes too. But uh... you know, I, I can see if I can do the one I've been working on on recently. I usually need to please, like, yeah, get on to it. But everybody's been watching Tiger King, and 
<clears throat> that one's pretty funny because I feel like to do an impression, you need uh, somebody that does a really specific, has a very specific voice, you know? Yeah. And something <clears throat> unique, like Mike Hennichuk, who's a pro skier, he's a really easy one to do an impersonation of. And uh, But Joe Exotic is just amazing. I was watching, he did this campaign video the other day, and he's just like, um, so I just want y'all to know, like, yes, I am gay. Um, I have had two boyfriends most of my life, and I am married now. Um, and I just would like to tell everybody that fuck Carol Baskin. <laughs> yeah. So I, that's one that's, like, pretty hilarious. Um, do you, and, and kind of, like, quick quick foray into Joe Exotic. Like, when, when they made that show, I don't think they could have imagined the success of that show to their wildest dreams, like, and just how it's turned into, like, this cult phenomenon during the quarantine that everyone has watched. I think, you know, it's interesting because I will almost guarantee you once they got into that, because Harrison, who we made uh, read together, yep. uh, once, once they got in, I think that they realized that they had gold. Yep. The complexity and the way the story was linked together I, I think that it was just like mind blowing, most likely that they were just like, you just don't get a story like that. That no, it's just like it's no. so insane. It seems made up, you know. Well, not only is Joe made up, but like, dude, come on, Doc Antle's made up. The dude is just like, and and they all, it's you just have all these like super fucked up people that basically all have this common love of having tigers yeah. and lions yeah. and basically illegal animals yeah you know what i mean and and everything else involved with that yeah. with these animals <laughs> yeah. and so you you got like the one guy who is like a gun-toting dude who's gay who has and has uh polygamy going on for him then you got doc antle who's also got that going on and basically is running his own cult and then you got the other guy who is an ex like cocaine smuggler that has cats and then you got the crown jewel of it all who is posing as somebody that is like rescuing cats while actually pocketing millions of dollars off of people working for free for her and also most likely killed her husband yeah that's like that's literally like that would be hard to make up yeah, no, it's it's one of those things that I think it, it's way harder to make that shit up than to just, like, realize that it's real rural America at a point, you know? So, um, so kind of going off of film and music, is we talked about some of the ski and, and, you know, stuff you watched as a kid. Were there any, like, Hollywood films that you watched as a kid over and over again that really impacted you? Yeah, one that impacted me a lot is Treasure Island from in 1990, Charlton Heston and Christian Bale. Yeah, totally. That was one that I watched a lot. And it's interesting because I've watched it recently, and it's cool when you watch older movies like that that still stand the test of time, you know, where you watch it and you're like, wow, this movie was sick, you know? Yep. Um, and then earlier on, like Ace Ventura stuff, you know, like early Jim Carrey and The Mask. Yeah. All of his stuff I had like a lot of influence on me. And then um Pulp Fiction was one for sure. And then I watched all the early Bond films as a kid. I I watched 
all of them. You know. Do you have a favorite? Um. Or a favorite Bond, at least, then. Probably. Uh, I don't know. No, not really, to be honest. Yeah. We were just watching. I can't remember which one we were watching the other night. I, I like the ones with Jaws in it. Yeah, those are Roger uh, Moore. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, just watching all of those were so cool. Yeah, uh, I, I, I also grew up watching Bond, and I think that, uh, you know, it was something that my dad and I did together. We, we would always watch the old Bond films. We had, like, that DVD case set where I had, like, the, you know, each, this massive cardboard box of them. Um, but, yeah, Roger Moore, Moonraker was probably my favorite when, like, the, the whole U.S. Yeah, like, space caps like, gets eaten up. Yeah, and they have this fight in space, yeah. and Jaws falls in love with a girl, and, you know, it's, 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 <laughs> it's perfect, honestly. And I love, even now, I really like the new Bond films. Yeah. I think Daniel Craig is actually probably the best Bond. Yeah. He's sick. Yeah. There's just like, Quantum, was it Quantum of Solace? Quantum uh, Solace? Yeah. Quantum of Solace? Yeah. Um, yeah. I want to see the new one. I mean, he's, he's just, uh, I think he's great. So what do you think about that? Do you think that there is, if this quarantine goes on longer than we want it to, do you think that they might release it uh, like some other films have done just straight to digital? Or do you think that that's kind of still like an untouched, unchallenged water? I'm not sure. I heard that uh, they're going to release Top Gun 2 in December in theaters. So there are, we were just talking about this, what they're going to do. And I think it probably depends on the budget and what they have for for movie sales, you know? Yeah. Because there's certain movies like Top Gun 2, uh, the new Bond. For sure. Stuff, that, stuff that's really high budget, you know, that I, I'm, this is me kind of just spitballing here, but mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure that in order to get the return, they still heavily count on ticket sales and at theaters and stuff like that. Yeah. Versus just putting it on a streaming platform. So I think that they will probably hold out and then other movies hopefully will be um, released. We'll see. Yeah. And I, and I hope that, you know, the bigger thing I look at is it's not just us being able to go to the movie theater, but will the movie theaters be full again? Will people be kind of hesitant to go back into these environments where they're constantly near other people, you know? Yeah, I don't know. It, it's interesting because I think that some people will get. Um, I mean, personally, I, I I really back what's going on right now. Totally. I wish more people in the past because as much of a, as much time as I spent traveling through airports and stuff like that worldwide, I wish more people would freaking like pay attention to what's going on and not like, you know, would wash their hands and not cough all over the place and wear masks. I mean, people look man. at people. <laughs> Japan and China, like they're out of their mind sometimes traveling, or they're such weirdos when they're in the U.S. wearing masks. And I don't blame them. It's like, I know it's the other way around. It's just like I feel like the the weirdos are the people that just don't care and that are like in these freaking disease dens. You know, like you go in a freaking tin can with recirculated air and you know putting sick people in there with no masks and stuff like that. It's I mean, I think that from here on out, I, I will probably travel all the time with with masks. Agreed. I'm on the, I'm on the same page. My nature, of my work takes me on like 100 and 100 to 150 flights a year. So like I'm 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 in the same boat as you. Like I have to do it now, or else it's it's just not smart to not travel with a mask anymore. But I think that things will go back. 
to normal. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that the majority of Americans are just kind of like in their own own planet. So, um, and that's just kind of, I mean, there's, you look at the amount of people that think that it doesn't matter and that we should just be out cruising and going to the beach. So uh, those people are going to slip right back into the theater and going to baseball games and, sure. you know, doing all that stuff. So I, th- I think it, I think a lot of people will go back to, to normal, you know? Yeah. But it will be interesting to see what shifts, you know? Like, what actually will stick, because there's definitely a lot of stuff that's going to have to go back to just as it was before. Whether, maybe the only difference is they wear a mask and gloves or something like that, but, yeah. I mean, you look at even, like, production on, like, I got to work on two big productions, well, mainly one, but I worked on, like, a feature film this like a month and a half ago just before lockdown and then before that i worked on a show that was filming at sony which is for apple tv plus and Mm -hmm. that um that show it was insane like when you go on the sony lot there it's just like just on each show there's like you know 100 people working on it yeah you know at least you bring in like you bring in like background and there's like 30 background people and then like i mean you got like 40 people in a room putting together one shot so it's just like you're not going to not do group stuff, you know? Exactly. So, And I know you have to run in a few minutes, but I'll get you out of the end of this question. Uh, where, do you, where would you say you find peace and happiness in your current life? Mm, in nature. Yeah. And even right now with the quarantine, so like what's, what's your kind of holdover for that? Are you still able to get, get on a bike and find some pockets of nature in L.A. to go escape to? Or? Yeah, Elysian Park. Nice. That's my zone. It's a pretty cool spot. I'm like really getting to know LA better, uh, especially because I spend so much time on my bike around here. And but it's really cool. I mean, it's right where uh, some people may know this, but it's right by Dodger Stadium, and yep. it's uh, it's really cool. And just putting my feet on the dirt. Um, preferably, I like to be in the ocean, but they canceled that. So uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, anything else you want to add? No, no. Thanks for the for hitting me up i mean yeah i hope you all enjoyed that conversation with myself and casey dean you can find casey dean online at casey dean spelt the letter k then the letter c and then dean with an e and then myself rob ockenclos online at rob ockenclos or rob com. i hope you all have a wonderful rest of your day